Welcome to Side Talks. Oh, I'm so excited. I can't believe you sang us in. It's just in the spirit of, of I, I don't know, the, the, the music of the season. Of course. Sure. Of course. Um, well, who the hell are you? I am I am the hell Corey Craft. <laughs> <laughs> I am Rachel Morgan, and this is Side Talks, and we talk about movies. Let's talk about some movies. What up? You know what? I feel like it's the right time for this. It's the right time for some wind chimes. It's the right time for some reflections. Let's reflect, shall we? You have something in particular you want to reflect on. Yes. What is that? I don't know how much time this, this topic is going to take up, but I think it's worth uh, publicly mentioning. Oh, I can't wait um, for this. I have been waiting all day for this. <laughs> Please. Okay. So, we are recording this on Wednesday, December 16th, and like five days ago... Uh, your boo, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Taylor yeah. Swift released uh, a new album as yes, a surprise. She did. Um, so news of this broke, and I, I thanks to myself, I thanks. You know, maybe I need to see what all this fuss is about. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I put on my headphones, turned on Spotify. And cranked up uh, her previous record, Folklore. Yes, um, which I've been razzing you about because you hadn't listened sure. to it yet. So I listened to Folklore. And I thought it was good. Uh-huh. I thought it was good. Yep. And, and, and yep. so I, 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 was, I was the first listen through, I was just like, oh, yeah, this is not what I expected. And, and this is good. And, you know, I wasn't like fully in love with every single creative choice, not fully in love with every track, at least mm-hmm, on that first mm-hmm. listen through. Right. Um, but I, but I, I got through it and I was like, okay, all right. Yeah, I see what all the fuss is about. Now let me listen to Evermore, the new one. Right. You had little faith. I listened to Evermore. Evermore is great. Capital G, great. I think Evermore is an excellent record. Um and I, I don't know if that's getting a, a reaction in the in the booth in there, uh, but I, I genuinely really really liked it a lot. Yeah. Um, and and it, you know I, I I think it's a better record than folklore. You know, based on my very limited you know we're talking. I've been a Taylor Swift fan now for five days. I right. guess. Like it, it was, it was bound to happen sooner or later. I, I, evidently, because the rest of the world has been saying to me, as you, as you have been saying to me for months, uh, "Come on, get on our schedule. Come on, we are on Taylor's time." Just so you know, first and foremost, we are on Taylor's time. Well, so when I tell you to listen to the record, you do it because that's what she wants, and we do whatever she wants. So I, I listened, and I have to say, yeah, I see what all the fuss is about. I appreciate both of those records quite a bit. I think there were some really great songs. Um, on on both of them, and I think Evermore from start to finish is really really solid. Yeah, I I'm gonna disagree with you a little bit. Okay, um, I, I like both these albums, and I and I'm gl- I'm happy that you've come around. Um, I do like folklore more. Okay, um, but I I you know I it's not that I don't like Evermore. It's it's just that I I like folk, folklore more. Yeah, and I will say both of these. Um, well, first of all. When she announces, and this is not, you know, this is clearly a movie podcast, so we're kind of on a little bit of a tear here. But when she announces she's making a second album, I mean, that's jaw-dropping. Like, this woman just released a, a really significant album a few months ago mm-hmm. with a large number of tracks. It's not like there yeah, were just a handful of tracks on this thing. It's a thing. long record. It's a long record, and she, and she you know, drops and she's releasing another one. This is This, I think, speaks to a number of things. I think it speaks to one... What isolation does for some people, yeah, um, 
what can happen in quarantine when people who are workaholics, you know, are stuck. Um, but I think it also speaks to what happens when an artist um, is away from their handlers, is away from their managers, is away from the people that tell them what they should be doing and has some time to um, just do what they want to do. And also to um, have the guts to reach out to other people and say, hey, I've never worked with you before, but would you want to work with me? And nobody's no, – there's no middle person here because we're in a damn pandemic. And I think it, it creates – it's created some great work. Um, I also want to point out that one thing about Evermore that is not – nobody's talking about right now uh-huh. is that, damn, On That Thing is one of the one of the best new Christmas songs. Which one? Tis the Damn Season. Oh, yeah. That is a good song. Um, I, I think it does help, you know, if you're an artist with the pull of Taylor Swift and you have like Bonnie Vey and and the guys in the national like in your phone. Oh, well, of course. You just text I mean, like I mean, Justin Vernon and be like, hey, you got it. You want to get on a track with me? I and agree he's with just, you, like, but doing that. I'm going to caution you there a little bit because I think that this woman makes an album without men regardless. I no, mean, I, of think, course, I, think, of I think it's great that she did that. And I think that got her, this is the thing. She wants some indie cred. Well, That's she got clear. It. I mean, she, she won. She knows the, she knows the red phone to call to get yeah. the indie cred and she did it. And that's brought a lot of people around. But the truth is this album was in this, this is in her regardless. I'm not trying sure. to take this away from anybody, but like she has this album in her regardless. Um, and so, you know, does it, is it, is it that she's got the pull? Absolutely, but let's. But at the same time, thirteen-year-old Taylor Swift, who wrote an entire album that got her to the point where she is right now, didn't have any damn pull. Sure, she might have been, you know, an attractive white woman who was born into a fairly privileged family. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I don't think she would say otherwise. But she wasn't born into the industry, and she, you know, with her two hands, made wrote an album and got her to where she's able to make these phone calls. So, no, unquestionably. I'm, like just she, saying, I'm just saying. It, 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 getting Bonnie Vey and the National on this new record, all it really did was convince grumpy old men like me to actually go. tune in. And I tuned in, and she won me over. So I'm a Swifty now. Okay, um, well, get ready, so, because with that comes a lot of power and a lot and, and a lot of responsibility, okay. um, including the fact that you know when Scooter Braun does something, we will death threat. We will death threat, Corey. I have to send so, death threats to people? Yes, you absolutely do. As a matter of fact, things things like, you started it, now we're going to finish it. Okay, so guy that Rachel's talking about, <laughs> if you're listening, you better shape up, pal, because otherwise you're going to – I'm going to talk to you real sternly. Um, I don't know what this is. I'll have to do research later. Well, this was Reflections, but coming soon, the, um, the Taylor Swift fan podcast by Corey and Rachel. <laughs> and now it's time for Phone a Friend. This is a new segment of the podcast, um, one in which we do exactly what the title says, and that is phone a friend and ask them what they've been watching. Hello. Hey, Lisa. It's Rachel. Hey. Guess Hi. Who, hi. Guess who else is here? Hi, I'm Corey. I'm here as well. Corey? <laughs> What's up, bro, bro? Oh what you God, been watching? Hi. Well, you know, I've watched a couple Christmas movies since we last spoke. And nothing has really topped Christmas on the Bayou. So I just, I just really, I mean, seriously, I think I peaked. There's no more Ed Asner. It's not been the same. So, um, but I did watch one that I thought you would think is pretty interesting that I had never seen. Um, I had never seen Predator. Like, oh, wow. OG, wow. OG Predator. Isn't that weird? That is really I weird. I, you know, it just felt, I don't know. I mean, I watched, you know, Alien, all these other things growing up, but somehow Miss Predator and when I finally watched it, I kind of, I guess I kind of see why I never, it's just like <laughs> kind of a jungle jock kind of thing. Like more yeah, than I expected. Yeah. Like, it's like a lot of jungle times. I thought the first, I don't know, half of it, there's so much 
muscular bros shooting each other that I thought it felt like like a Rambo kind of situation. And I'm like, right. where's the thrillerness? Where's the spooky, spooky, you know, creepy alien monster vibes? But they did come around. But it takes yeah, a, a lot of um, Arnold in the Jungle and oh my gosh! But I okay so. So many memes and things like, you know, that <laughs> meme or uh, uh, that um, like GIF or those two super muscular bicep muscles and yeah. like a, you know, like a, a black man and a white man and they're sweaty biceps and they're embracing yeah. and stuff. Um, Arnold Carl no Weathers. Idea. Yeah. Yes, Carl Weathers. I had no idea Carl Weathers was in it. Oh my gosh. Like literally my whole world of Predator was opened up to me. And yeah, I mean, I got to see when they're little, uh, bi- little. I mean, gigantic biceps embrace. <laughs> oh my god! And then the um, the get to the chopper line. Okay, uh, yeah, I've heard people reference it. Get to the chopper for like hundreds of years, and <laughs> never in my, I had no idea that was from Predator at all. Like you know, if you had said what is that from, I would have probably guessed like seven other Arnold Schwarzenegger movies before that. Right. But yeah, I mean, I felt like so many things like clicked into place. It's like oh my god. He probably okay. says that line in a couple other movies, though, to be fair. Okay, you're right. You're right. Like, yeah, I, I feel like he probably like... says that in Commando because there's probably a chopper that somebody has to get there's to. There's got to be a chopper over there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I, I finally I watched Predator, and, you know, I think it's pretty good. Like, the effects are pretty good, yeah, and yeah. I think it doesn't, uh, it doesn't look too, I mean, you know, it's still 80s. Brohemes running through the the jungle stuff, but I mean, I guess that maybe gives it a little bit of a timelessness because it's it's like the jungle looks the same any decade anyway. <laughs> yep. it's always just the think. jungle. It's yeah. always just the jungle. Well, <laughs> you know, Lisa, um, I have a you know how we like strange connections, and and yeah. I'm going to make one right now for you. Okay, so okay. follow me. You ready? So this is what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting you've never seen Predator because you have seen a film that most people probably haven't seen, which is a film called Hands on a Hard Body, the <gasps> yes, documentary. Yes, yes. And I mention that mm-hmm. because in Hands on a Hard Body, there's a reference to Predator. One of the competitors in Hands on a Hard Body references that, you know, it's like Predator. It's like his favorite film, Predator, and that's what he's using as his focus. And when I tell people what Hands on a Hard Body is about, if you don't know... You're going to really appreciate this Predator reference, and that is that it's about a, uh, a documentary about a group of people who are putting their hands on a truck to try to win the truck, and whoever can touch the truck longest wins the truck, right? Right. And you've seen this. Um, and ripped from the headlines, Lisa, we have had a, we've had a hands-on-a-hard-body kind of experience in that in Tuscaloosa, there was a, in the parking lot of McFarland Mall, when oh I was in gosh. grad school I, and you were undergrad, uh-huh. there was a hands-on-a-boat uh-huh. competition what? to which Lisa and I and several oh of our gosh. friends would drive every <laughs> single night and sit and tailgate watching people try to keep their hands on a boat. Whoa. It was unreal. Because I, I had never seen the, the movie about it at that point. It, like, this was my first experience seeing people the whole, touch a thing in a parking lot to win it. And I'm like, this is a thing? And Rachel's like, oh, this is a thing. And I mean, it was unreal. I mean, it's, it's just, I was like, hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. You just hold it. You just touch it. And, you know, it is funny because it seems like it wouldn't be that hard. But really, you know, you just, oops, scratch my nose. Whoopsie. You know, uh, it's, it's, I, I couldn't do it. I would live with so much regret if I were to have just moved my hand. I just, I don't think it's like, I can't go on a game show because I would never stop thinking about how I didn't say the right answer. Or I, I just, I have, I have too much overanalyzing regret afterwards. <laughs> things that I could never 
actually uh, actually play that game because I would just be too scared to just mess it up. But I mean, kudos to those who do. I mean, and the, I think uh, the challenging get, like, a few, yeah. Break or something. What was that? There. Don't they get like a little pee pee break? Yeah, they do get yeah, they specific, do. very regimented breaks. So you know, it's not just go as long as you can. There's like little breaks in there, but there are little breaks. Yeah, oh yeah. and and I mean, I, yeah, Hands I on a Hard Body does a good it. job of illustrating that. There's a it's lot correct. of part of what's great about that film is is that there are the people do have strategy. Um, and to your yeah. point, Lisa, one of the women, one of the people, uh, one of the women who gets very close to the end but doesn't win, um, has a really great reason. Uh, for not winning. I mean, it's it is about as classic as it gets. You can't, you can't. I'm just going to leave it at that because you should see hands on a hard body if you haven't. I, I don't you agree? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And it's great because everyone has like, and this was we saw this in real life too. It's like you have sort of your pit crew, like your crew, your family who's there with their fold up chairs and their snacks, and they're kind of like, oh, you know, when you get your break, and they go and you know give you some water, and it's uh, it's like a whole <laughs> phenomenon, a whole culture around it. It's so good, and um, yeah, I I think that boat thing. I mean, we went a few days in a row until I mean, it was like dwindling. There was just, like two people left or something. Uh, yeah, it but, was I it mean, was tough competition, yeah. and we were really like I mean, I remember being like our night is going to be predicted by whether or not these people keep their hands <laughs> on this boat because I mean we're definitely going to Egan's. We're definitely you know we're definitely doing some bar hopping, but then we are going to be cruising over to the McFarland Mall to end the evening with a nightcap and uh, and a viewing of people with their hands on a boat. I I just have to yeah. say I lived in Tuscaloosa for many years, and I have to I I can't recall ever culminating a night at the McFarland Mall. Well, we brought you that you know special what? Are you sure moment. it wasn't the Skyland Mall, actually? Oh my gosh, Lisa. I think you might Skyland be right. Mall kind of the more rinky-dink mall at the time? Yeah. It yeah. was yeah. the that's Skyland like, the Mall. Uh, yeah, and yeah if, it was... Mm-hmm. Well, if that's you're familiar, even more suspect, oh, suspect. Listen, if you're familiar with Tuscaloosa at all, first of all, you probably don't even know what the hell we're talking about because that thing is not really in existence anymore. But it, it is more tragic, more sad, and more bizarre that it was mm-hmm. the Skyland Mall and the glow of the, <laughs> and the glow of the TJ Maxx lights. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, and it was yeah, and I oh man, oh yeah, yeah fun times. Those were the good old days, Corey. Those when we were could, the good old days <laughs> when we could go Such to a, a mall in a parking lot at two in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, I feel like we've done our duty today by connecting Predator and Hands on a Hard Body yeah. and uh, and Hands on a Boat at the Skyland Mall in Tuscaloosa. Wow. So we've done all we can do today. This was a journey. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Ross. Well, uh, next time, talk to you soon. Bye. Okay. Bye. Bye. And now we'd like to welcome Charlie Brown Sanders III to the studio for his segment, Film History Minute with Charlie Brown. Four Rooms is made up of four distinct segments written and directed by four different directors. Honeymoon Suite, The Missing Ingredient, was written and directed by Allison Anders. Room 404, The Wrong Man, was written and directed by Alexander Rockwell. Room 309, The Misbehaviors, was written and directed by Robert Rodriguez. And Penthouse... The Man from Hollywood, was written and directed by Quentin Tarantino. The initial premise of the film was written by Allison Anders and Alexander Rockwell. It is based on the events that occur simultaneously in the rooms of one hotel during the night of a New Year's Eve celebration. All of the stories have a common thread. The main character, the bellboy, played by Tim Roth. At the beginning of the film... Quentin Tarantino's A Band Apart production logo shows Tim Roth's Mr. Orange unzipping and thus shedding his character from Reservoir Dogs to become the bellhop in Four Rooms. The film was originally to be titled Five Rooms, with Richard Linklater contributing a segment, 
However, he withdrew before production began. Lawrence Binder, who co-produced and founded the film production company A Band Apart with Quentin Tarantino, appeared in the segment The Wrong Man and was credited at the end of the film as Long Hair Yuppie Scum. This is the title that he was credited with for his appearance in Pulp Fiction as well. The people at the New Year's Eve party are ex-co-workers or acquaintances of Quentin Tarantino from his video archive days. Tarantino's segment in Four Rooms is actually based on a Roald Dahl short story, Man from the South, which was previously adapted for a 1960 episode of Alfred Hitchcock Presents. Much like the series of unfortunate events which fall upon the bellboy in the film, events surrounding the promotion of the film may have led to its poor reception. For one thing, promotional photos for the film were made in June of 1995, and by that time, Madonna had dyed her hair red, looking nothing like the style of her character in the film. Madonna also refused to do promotion for the film upon its release as she was immersed in the film Avita. Madonna would go on to win a Razzie as Worst Supporting Actress. Another loss of star power to promote the film occurred with the removal of Bruce Willis from the credits. He appeared for fun and as a favor to Quentin Tarantino without payment, violating SAG rules. SAG agreed not to sue Willis if his name was not included in the film. Released by Miramax on December 25, 1995, the film barely recovered its $4 million investment budget and was released in few theaters in the United States. It stands out as a cult film for followers of Tarantino, Rodriguez, and of course Madonna. However, Four Rooms was classified as one of the worst films released in 1995. The film holds a 13% Rotten rating from Rotten Tomatoes, and the critical consensus reads, Four Rooms comes stacked with a ton of talent on both sides of the camera, yet only manages to add up to a particularly uneven and dismayingly uninspired anthology effort. Despite all this, I personally still think it's a great film to watch while celebrating the new year. Well, thanks so much for listening to Side Talks. We're your own personal cinematic Ty Webb and Carl Spackler. Okay, I get that. Yeah, we'll let everybody know. What's that? Well, that's from Caddyshack. Yeah, and I think it's pretty apropos. We've done a sort of Chevy Chase, Bill Murray thing before, but why not just bring it down and boil it down to that? Sure, yeah. I mean, you know, acrimonious relationship, a notably sort of, you know, there's a lot of friction there between... Chevy and Bill. So the question is, who's Chevy and who's Bill? This is the this is the age old question. Uh, well, I'm taller. I know Chevy's so, kind of a dick. I'll yeah, be Chevy. Okay. Um. Anyway, thanks for listening to to Side Talks. This is a you know podcast about movies. So go to sidewalkfest.com. Check us out. Um. Give a big thanks and a much love to Batwall Studios. And check us out on social media at Sidewalk Film on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and all those places like that. You know, and, social media. Oh, totally. And and most importantly, thank you for listening. Bye. Batwell Studios Podcast Division. Your words, our expertise. <laughs>